Welcome everybody to Space Weather Complete Podcast. I'm your host this week, Ben. With me as always is Daniel, James, and Christian. Yes, lads. <laughs> <laughs> and in honour of David Finch's new film, Mank, coming out, I think in a few days' time. For today's episode, we're going to be doing like a Fincher special extravaganza, everybody. It's going to be great. A big Fincher talk. Going to be wonderful. But before that, before that, a quick update. What have we all been watching this week? Uh, James, do you want to go first? Yeah, so I actually watched a film that I've been meaning to get round to watching to... Been meaning to get round to watch for a while. It's been on my list. It's literally on... I don't think you, can, you can't see it in this shot, but I've got one of those like scratch card um, 100 bucket list movies. And it's been on there for a while. It's one I got recommended to watch at uni and never did. Um, I watched This Is Spinal Tap for the first time. <laughs> oh, ah, you, know, it, you know what? It's pretty good. It's it's a pretty good film. My I think my issue was, so I, I watched the trailer before going into it just to be like, am I in the mood to watch this? Do I want to? And I, th- I think they did put maybe a lot of their best jokes in the trailer. So there were some bits in the film where I got to it. I was like, oh yeah, I know this joke's coming up. Oh yeah, there it is. That's funny. Um, I enjoyed it. It's a really good idea. And I, I'm fully aware of like its context and its cultural significance. I just think my thing is it's a bit flat in general. Like it doesn't go up and down very much. It's just kind of here's a little scene with a with a few jokes. Here's another little scene with a few jokes. Here's another here's another little scene with a few jokes. Like it doesn't have like really many peaks and troughs to the story. I would say, but maybe that's kind of the point with a mockumentary. I don't, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I, I don't. I didn't think it was bad at all. I I also think maybe it's just it's aged quite a bit at this point. Oh really. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the. I think I think it was possibly the first example of a mockumentary, wasn't it? Is really, it one of the first. Yeah, yeah. very um, influential in terms of you know the office and like uh, other other similar sort of things. So yeah, yeah, I've not seen it for years, but I remember it just being. I remember it being really, really similar to stuff like the office, that cringe kind of humor and that yeah. sort of. You know, it's halfway believable, but really ludicrous at the same time. This uh, is like yeah. the, the, the gag of how, like, the drummers just keep dying in unsuspected yeah. ways. And, like, it just gets more and more ridiculous. I, I love that one. Like, <laughs> yeah, he choked on uh, his own vomit. Well, uh, it, it wasn't his vomit. They, they never did identify whose vomit he choked on. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. It's got like like isn't the stuff like the Stonehenge is really small? Yeah, it's like a famous one. I think they get stuck in the pods. Yeah, one of my, one of my, one. I think I'm pretty sure it's Spinal Tap where uh, one of my favorite pieces of dialogue, like an a, a, uh, interview, is like talking to the guitarist and he's like, "You've got accusations of being sexist," and he's like, Whoa, "What's wrong with being sexy?" Yeah, <laughs> <And he's> like, <laughs> it's awesome. I I've, I don't know. I would never watch the trailer before going in, James, because it just kind of spoils it. Especially I, I, older films, they just spoil the film anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes like a good trailer shouldn't. But I, it's it's because I was like I'd been looking for another film, but I couldn't find any good version of it online, and it wasn't on. I couldn't rent it on Prime or anything. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I you know, I'll, and I literally just turned back and looked at my, I turned back and looked at my post. I was like, let's go through here. Oh, this is Spinal Tap. I've you know I've been meaning to watch that for a while it's a comedy so it's not you know gonna to be too intense i just want something light-hearted for a bit so i just kind of whacked it on and enjoyed it <laughs> well, fair enough. Good, fair it, it was one that like we got told to watch quite a bit at uni in our third year because we are one of our final films we made was a mockumentary and our teacher was like this is like a really good example it's one of the early ones to the point where because of the advertising campaign with it a lot of people were like oh I've never heard of Spinal Tap. They sound like a great band and tried to find them. And they're like, no, 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 they're, they're not a real band. It's just a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if, <laughs> you should look it up. They did. They played a real gig at uh, a festival, James. You should uh, look it I can't remember what festival it was. Might, might have been Monsters of Rock. Uh, they played a real gig. So that was pretty great. What have you been watching this week, Christian? Uh, I haven't really been uh, <laughs> watching anything. Um, no, I've been... Uh, like while I've been writing stuff down um, and playing games, I've had uh, Bones on in the background. I've been rewatching that. Um, I'm on season five now, so I've made it over the first uh, writer's strike <laughs> set of episodes. The writer's strike. Oh my yeah. god! I forgot um, about that. So yeah, there's there's the the end of season three has a real plot twist that was definitely a writer's strike plot twist that makes no sense and kind of ruined the show a little bit 
gets back on track, but uh, I'm starting to see the uh, the signs of the second writer's strike episode about to appear. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm, like I'm going to have to push through that as well. A fun look back at history almost through bones. <laughs> yeah, fun experience. Well, the the writer's the the right the first writer's strike for um, the the th- end of the third season was also the writer's strike that affected the end of season two of Heroes and the end of season two of Lost. Yeah, it did, yeah. I don't, so, I don't remember right. the end of season two of Lost being bad. Isn't that where they reveal the They're not the, bad, uh, it, it affects I the show, it, isn't it? It's, it was it's the that, end of, I think it was the end of season three, actually. I think it that was. That might be sense. What, for Lost? Yeah. Oh, I might be wrong, but well, uh, Lost was definitely I, I affected. Was... Four, season four had the really short season. Yeah. Four, four, four was uh, four was also a writer's strike, which is why season five of Bones had a writer's strike as well. And it was season four of Heroes, the last season, that also ended with a writer's strike. There was a lot of writer's strikes around that period. Um but no, season two of Lost, uh, for anyone who doesn't want any spoilers for a God knows how old TV show, <laughs> cover your ears. But no, season two is the one where Michael turns back up and <gasps> shoots like four of the characters. He shoots like Hurley's girlfriend and what? Hurley oh, becomes so like mega depressed. And Christian's just gone for it. He's just it, it's, it's, such, it's, it's, it's very bad. It's that a, was so, bad. I remember that episode. It Shocking. was so... It was, I was genuinely So does season shocked. one end with the discovery of the hatch then? The hatch, They, yeah, blow, yeah. they right. blow the hatch okay. and it ends with Jack and Locke looking down it. Right, I ends. thought that was season two. Season, no, season two starts with... Season two starts with the you start in the hatch and it's Desmond and you're thinking yeah. who's this guy <laughs> and it turns out he's, he's in, in the, the hatch, hatch and he's been living there all along and it's Locked like it. oh my god this show so good. season one and two was really good of so Lost good. yeah yeah it got it got a bit off the rails after that yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's a whole of a debate. That's a whole of a podcast right now. That's a whole of a podcast. Well, that's a tease for a future episode. <laughs> Tune in next week for TV shows that just got yeah. way out of hand. Yeah, into, <laughs> in time. Uh, well, speaking of TV shows, I've been keeping up with uh, His Dark Materials over on the BBC. I've been watching oh, a bit yeah. of that, latest episode of that. I know you have as well, Danny, kind of. And you, you have as well. Uh, I Right. Yes. Let's talk the witches, Danny. All in, right. in the show. Okay. I'm I a can bit. Do that. I'm a bit worried about an element of the witches. I imagine it is from the book that they've introduced in the show. I'm just a bit worried about it. So they've introduced this. So right in the show, there's uh-huh. witches <laughs> who can fly about and stuff. Okay. And that, that is and, in the show. Yes. Yeah, and they're warring with the controlling. A government, the magisterium, okay, and they've introduced this ability. I can't remember if they did it in season one, but it's definitely in season two where uh, there'll be a scene where a witch will fly into a room at an immense speed and kill everyone in the room really quickly. Yeah, and then because they've done that, I can't help but think, well, any problem that has arisen, you can just fly in super quick kill them all why are you even <laughs> warring with anyone what yeah like they're, they're unstoppable in a yeah. previous episode the magisterium like carpet bombed their land and mm-hmm. i was like just fly in and kill them <laughs> what are you doing and then yeah. and then in the latest episode after they were bombed that's exactly what they did and i was like in any any future scenario where that doesn't happen where they just kill them all super quick when they you know you're gonna be sat there going well why you know it's almost like you've you've written yourself into a corner by introducing that ability yeah yeah i agree they and they're they're gonna need to uh rectify that uh Mm. by showing some kind of weakness or some sort of fallibility to that ability to to that yeah the ability to be able to essentially teleport into any location and kill everyone because uh, it is quite overpowered uh, yeah. as abilities go. <laughs> I'm a bit I worried. I don't remember that being a thing in the book. I remember the the witches were uh, powerful sort of warriors, um, but they they weren't quite as powerful as being made out. I think I think um, with the TV show, um, it's one of those things where it looks cool and it makes the witches kind of look cool. So let's 
do it and not really think about the actual consequences for the uh, universe at large. But you, you always get this issue whenever you introduce stuff like super speed or any character that's too powerful. And I think DC have done a really nice job in general with the Flash and Superman of oh, but why don't they just you know super quickly just kill anyone? Give them the moral compass that this person doesn't kill. Yeah. Because then straight away you always have your reason. You don't need to write convoluted things. You don't have to, for every scene, come up with a reason for why they don't just go in, murder everyone super quick, and then leave. Mm. Because they wouldn't do that. It's just not who they are. But this, yeah, that's the thing, though. The witches will murder witches. people. Yeah. <laughs> they will kill them all. <laughs> so it's a, it's a bit of a problem. But the latest episode was a bit of a mad one. Uh, we got to meet Andrew Scott, the dad of Will and stuff, got to hang out with him. And this... Uh, the show is about a little girl, well, like a teenage girl and teenage boy, and now we've had this other woman speak to Dark Matter, and they have declared they are angels and have declared like vengeance on something, which I'm gonna, oh, pres- I'm it's gonna, really, yeah. and like they were like, oh, we've uh, helped create humans in our vengeance act. We're fighting against something. We don't know what it is. I'm presuming it's like God. And I'm just like the show's about a little girl. What's Listen, happening? Ben, <laughs> seriously, like I, I, I've, 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 someone who's read all the books and hold, holds the books quite close to my heart. The book, the third book especially, it's is gonna go... batshit insane. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like I, some I, of the stuff in in it is like, how is that gonna? How is that gonna like right. be on TV? Like, just not okay. not just you know, I don't want to give away too much, obviously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. but yeah, there is there are certain characters, there are certain scenes, there are certain themes that are just like, yeah, this is gonna be an interesting kind of I'm so thing in. to see. I'm so into it. It's just it's like going big, and I was like, all right, whatever. Yeah. It really does. At one point, it goes from being a, a quite small scale story about, um, you know, about Lyra and Will to be becoming this kind of fantasy epic that really does go quite far. Cool. cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I won't, I won't into do it. anything else. Um, what about you, Danny? To, to wrap up, what have you been watching? Oh well, apart from his start materials, although I am one episode behind you. Um, I've not really been watching much. Uh, I've discovered a new YouTube channel, <laughs> which, well, okay. I say new. Uh, it's definitely not new. Um, it's got 3.95 million followers, so it's pretty uh, It's pretty well established at this point. It's called uh, Lemino or Lemino. Have you heard of it? I don't know. So no. You might be saying it know. wrong, though. So. <laughs> no, it's like, it's... It, it's pronounced let 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 me know like let me know like okay. play on oh, words kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I'd recommend it. I'm quite into sort of conspiracy theories and urban legends and weird unexplained events from the past. Um, and this channel uh, is essentially based around those those events. Um, they make. It seems. It actually seems to be. It's the same guy who narrates it. I don't know if he single-handedly makes these videos because they're all pretty nicely constructed um, little documentaries um, on these unexplained events, like 20, 30 minutes. um, Really nice kind of motion graphics elements, very professional-looking, kind of high-budget-looking stuff. The kind kind of stuff you, you may watch on Netflix but it's a YouTube channel. Um, the last one I watched, the one I was watching one this morning, actually, on the Mandela effect, if you guys have ever heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the whole idea of that, like, we live in an alternate reality um, <laughs> where things are subtly different. Um, like, in our reality, the whole name Mandela effect comes from the idea that in our reality, Nelson Mandela was released from prison Um and went on to become like a politician and a very influential figure in the alternate reality. People swear that they remember Nelson Mandela died in prison. I think that's yeah. <laughs> kind of like the idea. So it's this idea of like people remember like something that's different to how things seemingly are today. Um, so yeah, there was a video all about the Mandela effect. There's a video about um, flight. Um, Flight 370, you know, the Malaysian Airlines yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, the one that disappeared. That was interesting. Yeah, the one that disappeared without a trace. Uh, the stuff on UFOs, um, like UFO sightings and um, various other things like that. It's uh, it, it's all 
quite interesting if you're into that sort of stuff. It sounds um, right up my street. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's very interesting. So that's what I've been watching. Really, oh, I watched cool. a, a fair few episodes of that. It, it, they only upload like once every sort of six months. Seemingly, okay. they. <laughs> so it's like, I suppose. Yeah. But they're they're they're, they're they're worth the wait. They're nice little bite-sized kind of documentaries, basically. So enough jibber jabber. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to why we're really here. Why everybody is here. Let's talk about David Fincher, guys. Who? Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's that his new film Mank is out in a few days he's got a fair few films out I think it's about 10 or 11 films I think out before Don't maybe know. I should have checked before maybe I was uh, really prepared for this well I didn't yeah. know I was hosting did I so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I mean, uh, we, do you want to should we uh, go around the table and say our favourite Fincher film does anyone Ooh, do I, don't know do if I, could, I don't I don't know if I could narrow it down to one you know. Oh, interesting. Oh, I'll go first. I know mine. I'll go first. Uh, my favourite is Seven, uh, Dan. Uh, I'd have to say Social Network is probably my favourite. Yeah, Christian? I, uh, I'm going to be unoriginal, say Fight Club. See, I, I think gun to my head, I think I'd, I'd... Like, if I have to pick one, I would probably go with Seven, because God, that yeah. was... Sorry. <laughs> um, because, uh, to be honest, like, with Fincher, I it was... Um, I I'd watch Seven because the idea of a serial killer basing his killings on the Seven Deadly Sins I was like that sounds really interesting, so I watched that. I'd already seen Panic Room, um, just because I think I got, it got recommended to me and I really enjoyed it. And then I think when I was talking about them at uni, someone was like, "Oh, you know, they're both by David Fincher." And after that, I was like, "Oh, well, I really love those. I'll I'll look at his other work and now I'll go start watching films specifically for him." And I I really like his work. He's potentially up there with one of my favorite directors mm. just in that wow. he's one of the people that his collection of films I, I like them all i haven't not enjoyed a single fincher film i uh, i don't know if i could say i enjoyed everyone but like the curious case of benjamin button i remember i watched it at the time because it was uh it was my mate's birthday and at the time, I didn't know who David Fincher was. And so for his birthday, he was like, we're going to go watch The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And I was like, why? Why are we watching this guy age reverse for your birthday, mate? And obviously he, at the time, must have been a Fincher fan. I just didn't know. So I don't know. I can't remember. I actually can't remember like anything much about Curious Case. But yeah, Seven was the one I watched. For, I think it was probably just recommended like from my dad. I was like, oh, if you, if you <laughs> watch this. <laughs> and I was like, what is... Oh, I love the. It's so good. It's just like the feeling of Seven, and like the the detail. And I was rewatching it the other day. I think a real strength of it is like the majority of the situations of the killings are all situations that, though extreme, could could happen to you or could happen in real life. You could be strapped to a bed for yeah. a year, and if you were a larger man, you could be force fed. And then I think he gets kicked and he just bursts. <laughs> yeah, but by, by that kind of rationale, anything is possible then. You know, well, any, you could say... But like The Matrix isn't possible. Star Wars isn't possible. No, it's not. I don't know. I know what you Do you know what I mean? Like, I found the, like, the idea of the killer and his, and his plan is just it's quite plausible to me. I don't know. I just really no, enjoyed, I think it, I really I liked think it. it. No, yeah, I, I think it's really clever how like yeah. you, you, you go through each sin. It's like how how do you come up with a kill for that sin? So like that's what I mean when I was saying I like the idea of stuff based off the seven deadly sins. I'm always like, yeah. Okay, so how are they gonna do that? How how do they do one for each sin? I don't know if I don't know if it's I don't know if I can say my favourite scene from the film, but it's the one of my favourite moments is he's such an underrated actor. He, he appear I think he's in the fourth alien film. It's it's the guy who is forced to wear the the spike the sh- the knife strap on yeah. and he's in the interrogation room like just saying what's happened and the way and he's and he's like wrapped up in the like and I did it and it's just like it's so good his performance is, is amazing oh oh my god a bit of a precursor <laughs> to uh, the Saw films as well that type of thing would you say like oh, yeah the, I uh, think you could have got the, yeah. see that's the, the that's messed the up thing. torture type but Saw thing. Saw is like so unbelievable to me where seven ah. i find is like in yes. saw there's the one there's the guy he's in like a cross like chained up thing and like it bends his joints 
oh, or something. Yeah. And, I was um, like, and then there's like the two guys in the shop with the chain, the saw in the middle. There's like the girl in. I was like, come on. <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, the, the first Saw film, kind of believable for the most part, like, um, and. A bit of suspension of disbelief, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit, like, but it, it it's it's kind of believable. Like, after that point, they kind of throw believability out the window and just go for fun, stupid, yeah, gory it, yeah. horror films. It, it fast and Furious did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Especially by the fourth one. Jesus. Shall we, uh, Danny, why is Social Network your favourite? Well, um... What, what, are you, what are some of your highlights? Um, I think um, this is a Fincher story that's not... It doesn't re- revolve around an intense situation, you know, um, on the face of it. It's more of a kind of slow burning type of character piece that goes into you know the bit it's about the business world about the creation of facebook and on the face of it that could make for quite a a, not a boring story but quite a dry kind of retelling of that situation was like what what, why are they making this exactly wasn't there another one that came out really close to it or am i making that up i think i don't know that does ring no no sorry there was two um steve jobs films not Zuckerberg. Uh, yeah, um, that's ignore me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, with the social network, it's pretty riveting. It's really, really engrossing throughout. Uh, obviously, they do you know, dramatize various elements. Yeah. They 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 make Mark Zuckerberg into um, this really kind of barbed, very kind of mean mean spirited. Uh, He's the villain, the uh, straight-up villain. The villain, that's it, the ruthless villain, you know. Um, But um, it's a combination, I think, of like the weight of what Facebook was and what it became and what it is now, and us all knowing that in retrospect. And also just the Fincher sort of touch gives it this gravity. Like there's there's something about all Fincher films that has this, like, not to sound like a massive pretentious idiot but it has like they all have these this texture to them which you don't it's hard to put into words it's a combination of the cinema yeah 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 it's a combination of like the cinematography the lighting the soundtrack everything coming together and to create this kind of overall feel and texture yeah the fincher feel Mm. that's right yeah and social network has has that and it makes it weirdly it gives the the story this odd gravity, the events of the story this odd gravity. Like like the start of the film when it's Mark Zuckerberg just um, walking uh, through the grounds of Harvard University. Um, just the way that sort of filmed is is with that point basically in mind. It sort of it just gives it this feel that you're about to embark on this um, uh, this story, this journey, you know, um, and it has that throughout it. It's a difficult one to sort of express, really. But yeah, like Social Network, really, it is my favourite because of mm. that. It's a subtle film, but it still has this weight to it. And also, like, the soundtrack as well. Oh, I it's really, got a great really like. song. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the, there are so many, like, there's nothing that really, like, stands out in there, but everything really just helps along that atmosphere. Um I'd argue the the bit like towards the start when he's first coding it all that really stands out. Like whenever I think of Social Network, I think of that bit of music now. Uh, well, I, I think maybe because yeah. it's played at work. Well, yeah, that probably <laughs> does. <laughs> it's also it's not played help. a lot of work. <laughs> that that's it. Yeah, there's the there's there's that scene. There's a scene where I forget what it is now. Where he's basically bussing in all all these girls into Harvard for these parties, and it's showing his lifestyle and his sort of the whole lead up to you know who he was before he became mark zuckerberg kind of thing and it's got this kind of like pumping sort of electronic beat in the background and you just wouldn't equate it with the you wouldn't equate that sort of thing with harvard and nerdy sort of hacker people but it somehow makes them it seem it somehow makes that subculture throughout the film it makes that kind of subculture seem like the people calling the shots you know the people who are leading um you know culture into its next step and building this whole social media network and it really yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 a good film, and it has not <laughs> one but two Army Hammers in it. What's not of to course. love? Before Army Hammer was, uh, you know, a well known well known name, you know, I watched it and thought 
bloody hell, these guys are uh, these guys are good. <laughs> Thinking that yeah. they were legitimately twins. But that, that's the thing. Like that's that's an absolute credit to the filmmaking that they so convincingly make one guy look like two. Like it's done so well. I remember watching a video on like a sort of a history of how they've done that with having like the same actor play two characters in the same frame. And they were saying it's like one of the things you can do that really helps solidify it is have one of them pass the other one another book. So in social network, they have a bit where one throws a book to the other one and they aren't on the same frame, but it, it, it helps put them in the same space. Yeah. yeah. Have them interact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's really, really convincing. Also, I know I've spoke quite a while about this, uh, <laughs> but special mention to, uh, you know, obviously Sorkin, because he wrote it, didn't he? Aaron yeah, Sorkin. yeah, Aaron Sorkin, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, special mention to Aaron Sorkin, because it's got his hallmarks throughout yeah. uh, the dialogue, fast-paced, kind of witty, easier to listen to, almost sort of Tarantino-esque but in that like, way. It's like the perfect team-up of two ultra... <laughs> James Vomit. <laughs> it's like they're, they're two perfectionists. That's it. I mean, and it's if, the if, ultimate combination put together. If, you, if you're talking about it as a, as a complete, it's three perfectionists because you know you've got Trent Reznor on the soundtrack as well. So it's a Fincher, Sorkin, Reznor, like all of them elements combined are what makes the Social Network that well, well, what made it as popular as it was for a topic that seemed like it wasn't going to be anything. Yeah. Does anyone disagree that the best scene is when Andrew Garfield finds out he's been ousted? And he smashes oh, the. Oh no, that's a great scene. That's the brilliant. The whole the, the camera tracking behind him that follows him through the office. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So good. That's the height for me. That scene. Also, the bit where he's like, uh, "Oh, he's my best friend," and it cuts to like an empty chair. Oh, it's it's so it's a really good film. So good. Like I think that's one of the few films where like I hadn't seen it and loads of people like it's really good. You've got to watch it. You got to watch it. And I, di- I didn't watch it hot off all of those. Like I eventually got round to it. I was like. People were right, man. This film is really good. Yeah. Like, it didn't get ruined by hype for me, which is quite yeah. nice. Way better than it deserves. Uh, yeah. Go on, Christian. Let's talk Fight Club. <laughs> ben, well, you've forgotten I'm... the first rule. <laughs> <laughs> and the second rule. <laughs> no, um, but before I get into Fight Club, like, I, I just want to like go back and talk Fincher as a whole. Yeah. Because um, I sort of became a big... It, like Fincher was my sort of gateway director into really being into films. Like uh, it was college. Uh, I had to pick four options, and my college were like pick three options that you want to pursue into A two, and then one option that you want to drop after A S. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's how I'll do it. Um, so I picked like biology, chemistry, history, and then picked film as like because you know it was something i was semi-interested in um and i remember that sort of first week walking in um had this super enthusiastic amazing teacher who like really you could tell that he was super passionate about film as a whole it didn't matter what film it was um and in that first week he was like right i'm gonna bring you in a few you might already have seen this but we're going to watch seven and i was like okay uh i i've i've heard of seven um you know um i've had family talk about it and how good it is but i've never sat and watched it we sat and watched seven and like seven uh was properly my introduction into the sort of level of film i'm interested in now uh you know fincher was way next level to anything i was watching i mean i know that a lot of film students now if you say oh my favorite director's like fincher they they sort of sneer at you because he is a very like mm-hmm. basic choice I've not, heard, I've not heard many people mention fincher in that direction because I'm, I'm the opposite if i'm honest like i've i've been in like sort of house parties and stuff where someone's like yeah i'm really into film i love like tarantino and scorsese i was like you like them because you've been told to like them you google top five directors and then you've just parroted that out you see, don't you have no opinions of your own see, because it, and if they gave me actual reasons to be fine but they they then just go yeah i'm really into film i like them so uh yeah i just think they're like really deep directors it's like oh just the so if any if yeah. any of James if any of the James's old course mates are listening now you know what he really thinks <laughs> <laughs> the truth's out um, no I don't see, I, people can have whatever opinion they want 
and that's fine. You're all entitled <laughs> no, to your can't. own opinion. <laughs> but until they can't. But no, my main <laughs> thing is it's like let it be your own opinion. Don't don't sure. just parrot stuff that you've re- listened to other people say. I'd sure. say my big See, um, I might cut that because I don't think I look very good saying that. <laughs> no, put it in, put it in. <laughs> no, um, well, yeah, but like, like you would. I'm, I'm going to make you keep it in now because I'm going to reference it. I'm, uh, like you said about Christian, I'll Tar- cut you too. I'm not afraid. <laughs> like you said about Tarantino and uh, Scorsese, a lot of people that I I have known at uni had sort of similar opinions about Fincher. They put him on the same wavelength of, oh, you just like him because you've been told to like him, you know, because you know that he's considered a good filmmaker. But, like, in college, watching that sort of unique, voyeuristic approach that Fincher has to film, like, it doesn't matter what the subject is, whether, you know, it's the sort of gritty fight club or, you know, just watching the the guys who made Facebook, it always has that weird sort of following voyeuristic approach. Like you're you're in the room, but you're not meant to be in the room. You know, they're letting you see something that you're not meant to be watching. That's a really good way of putting it. Um, like that. yeah. yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, Sorry, I, film I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I no, I I think that's what's always attracted me to Fincher as a director is he always like. It doesn't matter whether he's dramatizing it or whatever. It, he always f- makes it feel like his own, and he always he always takes the story and sort of gives it to you in a way where you're so engrossed because you feel like you shouldn't be seeing this. You know, you're not meant to know what Mark Zuckerberg's really like. <laughs> you're not meant to sort of be let into the. You know, the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club, and they're literally showing you this Fight Club that you know you're being let in on the gritty murders in Seven or the gritty murders in Zodiac or the gritty murder in Gone Girl. <laughs> Go with the dragon tattoo, the murders in that. Yeah. attempted in that. It's that, you know, he, 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 he has that sort of voyeuristic style that really got me into analysing film. And then the reason that Fight Club is my favourite is because when I finally decided not to drop film and to carry on doing film, that was the first of his films that I properly in-depth analysed and I've written about maybe four or five times <laughs> at this point throughout college and uni. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't watched Fight Club in years. I thought you were going to say ever then. <laughs> no, no, I haven't seen it in so long. I need to go Same back. there, actually. I, I watched it for yeah. the first time the other year. I, I, I definitely wasn't ruined by hype, but I think that was one where I finished it. I was like, that is a good film. It is really good. Do I think it's like his best one and the, like the one to rave and go mad about? I wouldn't say so, but I, I can see why some people who saw it with more fresh eyes than me, because I also knew elements of it going in. I, I can see why some people would love that film. It, it, I would just, I just prefer his other stuff. Like you mentioned Zodiac Christian and, I, I watched that for the first time this year and it's long and I, I was kind of aware how long it is but I was definitely never bored like it's really good and I, I think part of that is grounding it in reality so I'm like yeah. this is really interesting like this actually happened oh I want to find out about this See, See what have you given Mindhunter a go James? No I didn't even oh. know that was Fincher till Yeah yeah Mindhunter's well worth the watch See I, I, I knew about um I, I knew about Zodiac and the Zodiac Killer going into watching the film. Um, so I, I already knew what the outcome was going to be. I knew it was unsolved, but um, I didn't know much about I, the case. You know, the, the, the thought of going into a film and not having an answer is something that most filmmakers would be like, no, no, we need to... If, if we're doing it based on a real event, we have to... It has to be an event where we have an answer, even if we sort of lean towards an answer which Fincher does but you know the film just it takes you on this near three hour journey through them trying to find the Zodiac Killer and then ends with a wall of text that basically says (laughs) we think it was this guy but we'll never know so that's it that's all you're getting it's done it's about the journey the killings in in Zodiac as well specifically that one scene where it's the couple 
at the Reddit the site. Yeah. yeah. Um, the fact it was based on a real murder is one thing, but you know, we watched we watched Alien Three the other day. We've I'm sure we've all seen how you know our fair share of gore and you know horrific stuff. Um, but that scene in Zodiac for me is one of the most harrowing murder scenes, just because it's yeah. so you know it's just so kind of you know to the point and very kind of there's no um it's like you you watch the person who's being killed they are very aware they are dying that's and it, they are yeah. being killed now there's, a lot of and, times it's quite quick you know yeah, or, or you it. don't see that they're that's happening yeah. to them. It, it's a, it's a long scene as well, like with a big lead up, because you know he walks up and he has a full conversation with them beforehand. Mm. For sure, and you, yeah. You, you just feel like the sort of it it sort of creeps in that he is unstable and this horrific killer, and you slowly start to you know it, it's it's more t- like seven and stuff is tense, but that was the most tense I've been in his films because it's like yeah. this this happened. Well, that's what I was about to say. It's like there's not that film thing of like if you're watching a horror film and you know, it's a bit gory or scary, you're not like oh, but it's just a film. You're watching. It's like maybe not exactly like word for word like this, but it's like this happened. Like this happened to a real person, which I think just adds that extra level for Zodiac. Yeah. In uh, Mindhunter, actually talking to Mindhunter, they don't tend to. I don't think they actually show any murders. Like they don't actually. Sh- they don't have any scenes of the actual. Killings. Yeah. I don't think they not, do. Not as far as I've seen, no. Yeah. Um. They, they they show the aftermath and the investigations, and I think sometimes they show the crime scene or crime scene photos or what have you. But most of it revolves around the aftermath, and then trying to catch killers based or try and work out killers' motives by uh, interviewing former serial killers. That's the hook of the show. The hook of the show isn't yeah. really a serial killer who needs to be stopped it's the psyche of the serial killer it's the, the psyche of the serial yeah. killer and everything yeah. and yeah I, I I just recently got done watching series 2 of Mindhunter I really enjoyed it in that one actually they, they go kind of uh, to Louisiana I think um, and uh, there is a serial killer on the loose there and that's actually based around the whole case they work on is based around a real life case Um it's just about how they apply what they learned in series one to catching the ki- uh, the killer That's or cool. trying to catch the killer in season two. And it's really uh, quite an interesting story. Um, I was really sort of upset to hear that Fincher doesn't want to carry on with, with Mindhunter, um, not least because, you know, I was enjoying it, but also because the, the way we've left the characters at the end of season two, you know, without spoiling it, um, none of them are in a very good place at mm-hmm. all, you know, <laughs> and it just doesn't seem uh, it doesn't seem fair to sort of leave that as their story and call an end, and, you know, draw a line under their story at that yeah. point. Um, you never know, though. I think they're all they all became they all got busy, and you know, the the lead actor is like quite popular now. I think he was in Hamilton as well, and that's like blown up again because of Disney Plus. Uh, so, and Finch is busy doing his own stuff. So I think it's just like. Just kind of slipped away from them. I think it's a shame. It's a it's it is a shame. really good yeah. show. I hope it comes back at some point. Series, yeah. you know, let's let's you know bring it back, wrap wrap yeah. it up. You know, bring back the actors, wrap it up, finish like, the story. That show is like it's like it's almost like the epitome of what Finch is like so brilliant at. It's the what like it, epitome? Oh, then what did I say? The epitome. epitome. What did I say? Yes, I've done you that before. Epitome. Is that a oh. word? No, no, no. it's. Epitome okay, is spelled trying, epitome, trying, but it's pronounced epitome. Look at him trying to backtrack. Oh, look right, Mug. Oh, no. He's had a nightmare epitome. there, hasn't he? Yeah, it's your turn this week, then. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> is, that not, is that a word? No. 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 To be fair, I, I did, I've done that in the past, and then I educated myself. Yeah, then I turned five. <laughs> For <fuck's> sake. <laughs> A five-year-old saying, a pity. <laughs> <laughs> you precocious little shit. <laughs> Ben's not, not going to recover from this. It. It's all right, Ben. It happens. I didn't even, you know? like, oh, legit, I didn't even really realise it, you know, like mm. what I said. I'm no, not, no, oh, I can't even backtrack. What's the point? You can't look. You can't look. You can't look at the camera. I'm looking on my phone. <laughs> He's looking <laughs> right, up. Yeah. Like, He's I'm looking, looking down. Oh, it's a shame. 
No, Ben. No, it's not. Well, I used to well, say well. instead of instead of hi- hyperbole, I used to I used to think it was hyperbole. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, there's a lot of hyperbole about this. Yeah. I used like, to think it was placebo. I legit thought it was placebo. Placebo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another <laughs> one. When, <laughs> when I was reading Harry Potter, I'd never I'd never heard or seen the name uh, Hermione before. <laughs> yeah. So I just kept on reading it in my mind as Hermione. Hermione is a popular. I was like, that's a strange. Strange name, uh, Ernie One. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't, Don't think worry I had anything like that. Oh, oh well, no, good I just, for you. I agree that Mine Hunter is the epitome of what <laughs> David Fincher is all about. Epitome, not word. No, Ben, <laughs> it's still not a word. You've got to move on from this <laughs> and accept that you've been made to look an believe. absolute knob. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just gonna yes. say some of his best scenes, just people talking. That's all I was gonna say. He's 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 an absolute master of tension. Like just holding that. Like he, he maybe maybe not the entire film, but Panic Room is in almost a film entirely of tension. Just of this one long stalemate. It's just ah, uh, I like Fincher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy. I don't know. The guy seems like I'm curious to know what he's like when he doesn't work because he's so like intense when he works and he's like so yeah. demanding and so like everything has to be to the inch like perfect and we have to do so many takes till you match the camera flow like exactly. I was like, I don't know if like can he take a joke? Like I just don't know if like yeah. what he's like as a guy. I'd love to know. Like, have a beer with him. Yeah, I don't know. Like, is he that intense oh. in life? I, I realised that I mentioned Fight Club earlier and then didn't actually properly talk about it. But <laughs> we're not supposed to. <laughs> we're very true. Yeah, true. But th- throughout that film, like you, you can definitely tell how much of a perfectionist he is, and how he has sort of, you know, gone through that script, torn that script to absolute sort of shreds and made sure that every minute detail is accounted for like he knows exactly the message he wants to convey and they're going to do as many shots as possible until the the exact message is conveyed yeah you know as someone who's torn that film apart on numerous occasions um mainly looking at the underlying theme of uh masculinity in crisis for anyone who did film studies (laughs) 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 He he really like he really sort of pays attention to how he wants actors framed, how he wants the camera to move, um, how just just basically where he wants the audience to be watching from. There's there's a lot of shots in Fincher films where you're like, why has he chosen to place the camera there? Like why has he chosen to place the camera? where there's a door frame blocking parts of the conversation. Yeah. Why has he chose to place the camera behind an object? Why has he chose to place the camera behind someone's head so that you've only seen one person's face in the conversation? And it, it sounds like it, it sounds like he's just incompetent to me. Yeah, I was going to say it does it does sound like incompetence, but it's it's <laughs> it, But it's it, it's so precise and so exact. Yeah, it's it's so precise question. it can't be incompetence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much if it was? He just got really lucky. <laughs> Does anyone have uh, any beefs or anything they don't like with Fincher or anything? They go, this is, you know, Gone Girl's overrated, Seven's overrated, you know, Fight Club's... I know James thinks Fight I think I think crap. Fight Club's verging on... Not crap. I think I think Fight Club verges on overrated. I think, I think it's that thing of it's like, it's his most famous film, but I don't think it's his best film. I think his... Not lesser known because all these films are pretty popular, but I yeah, I think there are films that fly under the radar a bit more that I prefer. I think um, yeah, it, with it, as with kind of any auteur type director, like you get the same thing with Nolan, for instance. I think yeah. there's a tendency to go into his films and be a little bit over reverent and a little bit more forgiving when he does make mistakes or what you might deem as a mistake or something that doesn't quite 
um you know resonate with you um like it should um you know uh, for instance you know you had nolan with the, the whole tenet thing and people were defending his sound mixing and and this is because of nolan's sort of uh, standing within the film community in general at the end of the day the sound mixing in tenet was absolutely awful <laughs> Let, let's yeah. call it what it was it was awful it was really yeah bad. it was you couldn't hear the dialogue we need we don't need to talk about uh, about that um but yeah the same thing with fincher i suppose um you know it, it's this tendency to kind of be forgiven i think and sometimes like gone girl for instance i wasn't a huge fan of i thought it was a decent solid film again it had that texture that the finch films do you have and i appreciated that but i don't think it was a strong film um yeah, and people I think overrated it because it was Fincher. Mm. So don't don't get me wrong though. You know I don't hate Gone Girl by any means. I just think it was maybe looked upon a little more kindly, and maybe Fincher um, is looked upon a little more kindly for some of his films. I, my thing with Gone Girl is I think in general quite a few people who liked Fincher weren't a massive fan of this, and I I think I can see why because I think it's it's definitely the least Fincher films. The, it's the least Fincher film of all the ones he's done but I think it's still a good film I liked it and maybe that's more the story than that it, it feels like it's got you know we were talking earlier about like that Fincher feel I feel like this is the most sort of watered down version of that but sure, yeah. Yeah. it's still a good film I enjoyed yeah, it I, mean, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed I the back and forth of you think Affleck did it and then you're like oh my god he definitely did it and then you, 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 you're invested in both storylines of what's going on Rosamund Pike and how does mm. Affleck get out of it I enjoyed yeah. that aspect of it great well, yeah. um, we don't want to end on a sour note. I on suppose, a down note. Oh, right. Here's a song. Here, yeah. <laughs> Here's a song. But yeah, overall, Finch is pretty well regarded. <laughs> Good man. We're, I, I think we're all. I think we're all looking forward to his next film. Has anyone yeah. got any hesitation or anything like that? Gary Oldman's in it. Black and white, James. So I don't know if you're excited. I'll be honest. I watched the trailer and again, I was like, this doesn't feel very Fincher. But maybe that's the intention. I, it looks think, like he's going something a bit different. Yeah, I think that's the way they've staged the trailer. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Uh, more than anything. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait until uh, the 4th yeah. when it comes out on Netflix. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this will go then, up on the same day that it comes out. So uh, Yeah, I was going to say. By the time you're listening to this, you might have already seen Mank. Mm. Yeah, maybe. maybe. It'll be a nice primer for people to listen or to. Maybe, or this, maybe or... this will... Uh, make people aware of it and they will then go off and watch it so mank is about the writing and i think the making of citizen kane okay it's a film about making a film <laughs> so for our nice little end topic see how good that segue was well that was done i enjoyed that that's quite good <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a little we're gonna all gonna talk about a film we want to watch about a making of a film or telly show possibly hmm uh, so, Dan, would you like to go first? What I can go first. Story about a story do you want to see? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so mine is going to be about a television show, one that um, I'll probably be fascinated with for a while. I want to have a TV show, or a film even, about the about what the hell happened in Game of Thrones season eight. <laughs> <laughs> I want a scene in that round table script reading, and I want to know what really happened. I want to know everyone's yeah. real reactions because uh, I know the guy who played Varys, he was not happy. Oh, have you seen the footage of him finding out that he, how he dies? Spoilers. Yes, I it's have. So good. And he tosses the script over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've not seen so it. So good. The to whole... the table, into the table read and he's like yeah. nah and he checks out <laughs> yeah have you not seen that James so good no, that's, that's I want brilliant to, I mean it's almost not even worth doing a dramatisation of that scene because <laughs> we've already got it on film <laughs> yeah but I just want to so good I just want to know because that whole the whole fallout from the season 8 finale was everything was so managed and the PR was you know it was basically damage limitation but you could tell that the actors involved in Game of Thrones season eight were not happy with how their uh, stories were resolved, um, how the series resolved as a whole. No one was happy at all, <laughs> and I just want to know, kind of, I just want to know what happened. Because like, I, there's there's the kind of like the theories 
I don't, I don't know how grounded it is. I think a lot of people kind of take this for maybe this is what happened. In that because the writers, the two guys who wrote Game of Thrones, they got a job on a new Star Wars film or new Star Wars show. It was, it was some new Star Wars project. So a lot of people were like, oh, they rushed Game of Thrones so they could finish that and then move on to this Star Wars project. But in the long run, I think what happened was when Game of Thrones season, is it eight or seven? The, the final season, when it performed so poorly, they were then sacked from that Star Wars project. Because they were like, well, you clearly don't really know what you're doing. So then, according to these theories, they rushed one to move on to the other one. And they got sacked from that other one because <laughs> they rushed the other one. Which is just phenomenally poetic. I, I thought that the Star Wars project that they were put onto, was, it wasn't just they were sacked. Like, the entire project was scrapped. Like Maybe whenever I think they, they were a big driving force in it. Yeah, whatever yeah I have a feeling... Writing. I have a feeling it was another Star Wars trilogy of some sort, or it was something significant, um, you know. And they yeah. were sort of the 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 darlings of uh, writing <laughs> with um, with Game of Thrones up until that final season, which honestly I think will be studied in years to come about what not to do from a storytelling standpoint. It's the perfect kind of study case study of how to trash your tv show in as short a spy, uh, short a space of time as possible it really is it like that was <laughs> incredible I mean, there was two ways it could have ended uh the first way would have been if they'd you know the, the way it did end the way they just you know they said to george rr R. martin oh you know can you give us an ending and he just went yeah like probably through a like napkin with doodles on it that he'd wiped his mouth with from dinner um and that was how they ended the show or they could have uh, done the anime thing where you know when when they do anime based on a recent manga my favorite thing is the episodes where they catch up to where the manga is and then you have a, a short arc in the manga that is then spread over eight episodes of anime yeah. while they're waiting for them to write hmm. the next book <laughs> but by yeah. that logic they'd have still been making game of thrones now yeah, waiting for an ending. <laughs> he is still writing the fifth. He book, is, is absolutely it? not writing that book. Like that. My God! But you know, after the season finale of the television show, I straight out and out rejected that this is something that George R. R. Martin. R. R. Martin. I'll try for the third time. George R. R. Martin <laughs> would want for his characters um, and for the uh, for their stories in general. It just goes against. Well, everything that had been laid down before, you know, well, so well, I started already, reading the books, <laughs> basically. He's, he's already said he was involved in the, the writing of the, the last season, but the, mm. the writing of involved. how the last season went um, isn't going to be how the books end, so... No. I he, I think he said that the, the, the story's going to arrive pretty much in the same place as it did. However, the getting there is going to be different. He's already come out and said that. Because I don't, I just don't see how it how it can't be. I mean, it was such a, a disappointment. I mean, never have I seen like a television show. I mean, Game of Thrones in general was almost like a it was a big cultural moment for everyone. You know, it was a big thing that everyone spoke about every episode. It was a big part of everyone's life. You know, more or less. <laughs> and suddenly, it's just nothing. All that, yeah, it, yeah. whenever it gets ta- talking about, spoken about. It's just people like me complaining. That's that's literally it. Like everything, the merchandise, the you know. I I I always feel sorry for the people who name their kid like Daenerys or like you know. <laughs> or, or, or name them. <laughs> yeah, John John Snow. I, I really liked the idea of Daenerys actually losing the plot, and I like the idea of what happened. But my God, that is such a significant event in that character's story. It's a huge event. It's probably the biggest event in that character's story. And there was no lead up. It's just there was rushed. nothing. <laughs> there was just maybe like an episode, an episode and a half of laying a few breadcrumbs here and there. And oh, Varys betrayed her. And oh, she can't trust anyone. And she's upset and depressed and feels betrayed. And fine yeah this is like something that would be step one to her doing what she did we were missing like step two three four five six seven eight you know we were missing so much of her story that led up to that final end point i just want to know what the hell those guys were thinking and i think it'd make a good film <laughs> so, yeah. well that because i i had a one of the uh, ideas i was tempted to bring into this was on a similar vein 
of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, like just a gen, like a film that actually explores <laughs> yeah. what happened because they clearly had plans in Episode Seven, scrapped it in eight and all nine. I, w- I would love like a genuine, honest answer for yeah. what was the original plan. But seeing as we've already had that similar vein from you, Dan, uh, my actual submission for this, I think it would be quite interesting. Make a sort of maybe horror psychological thriller around the making of The Shining. And yeah, all the yeah. like kind of psychological torture that um, Kubrick put the <laughs> actors through. I, imagine I, th- that I, I think with, that could be really yeah. good. Like if the story <laughs> yeah. told from the actress's point of view and all the yeah. kind of stuff that he's put her through. I, th- I think that could make for a really interesting film. And obviously you get to set it in the hotel again. Yeah. So it's already got yeah, a really nice in the In Doctor Sleep, you had the actress play Shelley Duvall's role in that. Just bring her in. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 actually have exactly, I actually have exactly that written down. Wow. Yeah, I have like do do a, a you know. There's already been a lot of like documentaries and stuff that explore the making of The Shining, but an actual film like a drama where they take you through chronologically the steps that led to. So I mean, Shelley Duvall has never been the same after making The Shining, and the the actors who played the parts in Doctor Sleep, um, especially. Um, the actress who played Shelley Duvall absolutely nailed like the mannerisms for the short time they were on screen. So just get that cast back. Just screw it. Get Mike Flanagan in. Get the director <laughs> of Doctor Sleep. He'll yeah. do it. So, so what did um, what you know? What did Kubrick do, um, guys? Just the uninitiated. What what's the big deal with the Shining? He basically fed her false scripts and made her like the 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 take you know like where she's walking backwards up the stairs swinging the bat at him um that was that the take that's in the film is something like the 157th take he just made her do takes over and over and over and over until he felt that she was genuinely terrified jesus i think he insulted her a lot and like berated her and stuff like like you've heard of method actors where the actor puts himself through this it sounds like he was a method director where he wanted to (laughs) actually psychologically damage his actress a little bit so that it would look well on camera yeah yeah it, it, i think he wanted uh, to genuinely scare her i think um i heard her like she was under so much stress that her hair started falling out yeah. it's like when your lead actress's hair starts falling out probably time to tone it down yeah maybe just just, just bring it down. <laughs> relating to like madness and like insanity can i talk about mine yeah yeah go for it yeah yeah Mm-hmm. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Who's heard of the film Fitzcarraldo? I uh, okay. honestly haven't heard. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Absolute I didn't think silence. so. I didn't think so. That's, this is fine. Yeah, yeah. Just so educate us. This. Who's heard of Werner Herzog? Yes, I've heard oh, of yeah. Werner Herzog. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Werner Herzog, German filmmaker. He was in The Mandalorian, James. Uh, maybe that's where I know the name from. Yeah, he's in The Mandalorian. Oh, for fuck's sake, James. And <laughs> he is very famous for having a, a very... In, uh, making films that have very uh, uh, traumatising filming schedules and like his relationship with his main actor, uh, Klaus Kinski, was m- mental. Like, I decided... <laughs> so there's one film... He did a film called Fitzcarraldo... And I actually haven't seen it because I am dying to see it. And I try, I try not to look up too much about the making of the film. I know there was a documentary of someone following the filming of it, but some of the details I think weren't filmed. So I do like just a film about making this film. So in Fitzcarraldo, the main point, the famous part of the film is the character wants to drag a like a three hundred ton boat over a mountain in like the jungle of peru why <laughs> because he wanted to set up like uh, an opera house or oh, like a factory right. or something ah that makes I, sense I, then. I, I've, heard, <laughs> I, I, has, I've actually he, heard of this film yeah and to I get there he has to he has to take his boat over a mountain to get to it and in real life <laughs> Werner herzog said let's do that for real <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's get all this these indigenous people or the locals oh, and we'll pull this boat over this hill in the 70s Holy and shit. it just was hor- it just all went horribly wrong <laughs> like they had to reshoot 40% of it because the, ac- the, ma- the main actor got dysentery and so they had to recast it 
So then he so he recast it with Klaus Kinski, who was his like arch nemesis. On a previous film, apparently, uh, Aguirre, the Wrath of God. Aguirre, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Werner Herzog pulled a gun out on Kinski and threatened to shoot him and then kill himself because he would stop like that having like one-off. tantrums and stuff. The, loads of stuff like this. Uh, Mick, ja- Mick Jagger was briefly cast in the film as an assistant, but he had to drop out. Was Was there a, a thing with this film where? They took the boat up, and then because the actor got dysentery, they took the boat back down and yeah, made them yeah. start again. And had to do it again, yeah, because they had to replace the actor. Uh, there was various <sighs> set set injuries and deaths. There was two plane crashes <laughs> that occurred oh during filming. Uh, I need to read this this little bit out. Uh, a local Peruvian logger was bitten by a venomous snake. And then he had to make the drastic decision to cut off his own foot with a chainsaw to prevent the spread of the venom to avoid like cardiac arrest to save his life. That's a whole scene. Uh, this film's mad. He, there was other like local tribes that were not happy, so they raided the film camp. Holy um, shit. One man was shot uh, by an arrow in his throat. His wife was hit in the stomach necessitating eight hours of emergency surgery on a kitchen table. According to Herzog, quote, I assisted by illuminating her abdominal cavity with a torchlight and with my other hand, and with my other hand sprayed with repellent the clouds of mosquitoes that swarmed around the blood. It's just... Oh my God. Then it says, Herzog decided against the revenge attack, believing it would be bad for relations. (laughs) 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 Um... There's another, there's another Phenomenal. Uh, I love the guy, honestly. <laughs> a, a, local, a local priest, a Catholic priest, said they should have prostitutes on set, otherwise the men would go crazy in the jungle. Um, <laughs> there's a bit, I've got a bit here. Herzog once grew so tired of Klinsky's, uh, Kinski's attitude and his constant yelling that he went into his personal tent grabbed a tiny piece of chocolate that Herzog had been saving for months, which, according to Herzog, was something the crew would have murdered for. He returned to Kinski, sat down very close in front of him, and calmly ate the chocolate. The actor was so perplexed that he immediately went silent. <laughs> um, I think, what, what else? Yeah, another, the, cinema, the cinematographer split his own hand, uh, he split his hand open, and underwent two and a half hours of surgery to put his hands together again without anaesthetics. Oh, oh yeah, he's as he screamed and thrashed in agony, one of the camp prostitutes calmed him by pressing his head between her breasts. <laughs> oh my god, Ben, like, I think you've won. I was going to say, we're not all, beating It's that. all with a grain of salt, because like, I don't I, know. I've got to follow this up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much of this is true. And like, yeah. it's just nuts. And it says, after filming wrapped, the ship was left in the forest where it remains to this <gasps> day. Oh my god. This is oh the god. perfect film I need right to now. see this film. So like, yeah. I would just do a, a short slice of life about this <laughs> that's incredible, incredible man it's, what a story it, i could not... oh, that would absolutely work like very in the vein of the disaster artist yeah yeah it's so oh man that's incredible and like the herzog kinski stuff that's like a whole film on its own i think they like oh, oh also a lo- one of the local uh, members of the one of the indigenous people seriously went to herzog and said we will kill kinski for you uh and, they, and he was like, oh, where is it? I've got the note. I had the note here. Uh, anyway, yeah. They seriously what they said, like, we will kill him for you. And Herzog decided against it because they hadn't finished filming yet. <laughs> <laughs> the logic checks out, you know. <laughs> it was, just sounds like you, should, you need to look up footage of them actually pulling this boat over this mountain in the jungle. And, like, they actually did it. And it's just nuts. Like it's a shame though, because I don't. It's hard to like find it. I think Fitzcarraldo. Like I don't think there's like just a Blu-ray out there, yet, or it's not on Prime or anything. So mm-hmm. that's why like I'm dying to see it. But, like, oh mate, <laughs> what a story? That's why I want, that's why I want to watch it. Um, yeah. Off you go, Christian. Yeah, God, good luck, mate. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say now I've got to follow that one up. Um, following on from that. Um, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> following on from the insanity of all that. Um, 
I wanted to pick a, f- a film that maybe people hadn't heard of or watched. Uh, not to quite the extent of Ben's, but um, <laughs> I, I wanted to pick the, the, the Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. I've never it's even a, heard of it. It's okay. a 19, 1970 film. And specifically, I didn't want to do it about the full making of the film because most of the film went absolutely fine. However, the, the film is set in Scotland and a large part of the film is Sherlock Holmes trying to figure out um, the mystery of uh, the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> and for that, they built a giant wooden Loch Ness Monster and had it ride along Loch Ness. Um, but the, the director didn't like the, the humps that they'd given it. So he said, like, oh, take the humps off, take the humps off, and we'll film the scene again. Um, he, they took the, the humps off, but the humps were the buoyancy for it. <laughs> so the Loch Ness Monster sank to the bottom of... Um, Loch Ness. The Loch Ness. Loch Ness. <laughs> yeah, to, to the bottom of Loch Ness. Um, so there is still to this day a Nessie carcass <laughs> at the bottom of this, uh, at the bottom of Loch Ness. Uh-huh. still intact and um I, I know that there was a, a it was like a documentary or like a bbc thing a while ago where they were doing a, a look into loch ness and found using echolocation this weird shape along the bottom and oh, were almost awesome. convinced that it was the loch ness <laughs> oh, monster they were like oh we found proof it might not be alive but we found the carcass and they finally pulled it up and it was this prop from the 1970s Sherlock Holmes film and I, I would just love the film to play backwards like to start with them finding this Nessie corpse yeah. and then work backwards as they try and figure out where it came from and how it ended up there yeah that'd be really good the, um, the, the hunt for the lo- so technically it's real yeah, yeah. There, there is actually a lot well there was and I, I can't remember if it's still there but I'm pretty sure they pulled it up Oh, that's um, a shame. Got to keep it there, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they should have left it because uh, it, it would have been nice if there was an actual Loch Ness monster carcass at the bottom of Loch Ness. The the best part is that the director wasn't like, oh yeah, we'll we'll get it up ourselves. He was like, we'll just build another one. It's cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Not our problem, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's cheaper to crash a real plane than do one in CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one. Definitely. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I got what you've gone for. Tenet, no, no. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Super quick yeah. before we wrap up, has anyone got any like thirty-second to a minute ones they want to throw out, or should we call it a day, boys? I think we've li- said pretty much all there is to say. I'm a little bit disappointed that we didn't get to complain about Star Wars again, hmm. uh, specifically hmm. the Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> but well, you know that's been done a million times before. <laughs> we'll see how the making of Citizen Kane goes in Finch's new film, Mank. Yeah, yeah. It should be out very soon, so hopefully we'll get a re- we'll get a review out for that. Uh, a little chat about that. Maybe next week's episode of the podcast, we'll talk about it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, do uh, like, subscribe, or whatever. That's everything, though, right, guys? Yeah, I think that's uh, all yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, comment, good podcast. Comment down below, whatever. Yeah, thanks, yeah, everyone, yeah. for listening. Yeah, what what are some of your ideas? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, talk, talk to us about Fincher. Talk to us about yeah. Mank. Just and talk to us, you know, we're so lonely. Yeah, just, please talk to friends, us. Man. Give us give us ideas. Yeah. Alright. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you very much. Bye, Bye. everyone. Bye. See ya.